I think sometimes artists are showing what's happening in the zeitgeist like way before society realizes it's a problem or something affecting them. So yeah, I mean, music is so powerful and I really hope and I feel like maybe after, you know, the initial first half of the pandemic, I think we did see a lot of people be like, oh, what the heck, I'm going to say my views and I'm going to stand up for what I think is ethical and I don't care if this makes me lose followers or whatever. Who cares anymore? Half the world's dying. Like, I'm going to use music for, in my opinion, one of the things it's intended to do, which is to uh, take care of people and encourage people to do that. Welcome to Why Not Both, the podcast all about how our multiple passions shape our identity and our lives. I'm your host, Pam Schaefer, and our producer is Laura Studeris. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar Magazine. If you like what you hear, you can head over to our Patreon to support us directly and get transcripts of all of our episodes, or you can come hang out with us on your favorite social media platforms, where we can be found under WNB the podcast. For this episode, we were fortunate to get to spend some time with the musician and activist S.G. Goodman. I hope that you enjoy our chat. Welcome to Why Not Both, where I will make the interview as fast as possible because, oh my gosh, you've got a lot going on, which is hilariously on point for the podcast itself. (laughs) Perfect. Glad to be on brand. I was gonna say it's literally all about how to juggle the multiple things that one does and how that informs your sense of who you are so I'm like no that's that's like that is Perfect. what we talk about <laughs> Good. Perfect. what's the showcase that you're doing tonight um it is sponsored by big feet PR they're my uh, public publicity firm and um it's also sponsored by Gibson so mm-hmm. Um, excited about it. You know, Americana Fest is a bit of a, you know, it's a, it's a rough week. It's a lot. It's fun and it's intense. And I was just in Nashville last night and this is the first time I've been near my house in over a month. So it's kind of torture being two hours away from my own bed. So I drove back last night after an event and I'll have to stay the night there tonight. I have too much stuff early in the day, but then I'll get to come back tomorrow late afternoon and mm. hopefully have nearly a day off on on a Wednesday. Or no, tomorrow's Wednesday. Well, I will I will semi have a day off tomorrow. I'll at least get to be at home. Yeah. It sounds like you live kind of like proximal to where you end up working a whole lot. And I've talked to a lot of people that kind of like move during the last few years to be kind of Mm -hmm. like not in city centers, but kind of like close to city centers. Like, is that why you chose where you live or is this where you're originally from or? Yeah, this is, uh, I live in Murray, Kentucky, which is about two hours out of Nashville. And it's where I went to college. It's about an hour from where I grew up. Um, you know, I love Western Kentucky. I love Kentucky in general. And just different circumstances 
made me stay here. It's a quiet town. I love, I love New York city. I love certain big cities. Um, but I really, I'm a country girl and I like, I like living in rural places. And so I'm here and it makes sense. It makes financial sense too. Um, it's, and I'm never at home. So even I, I do work in Nashville and it's convenient to be so close at this, you know, in this particular week. Um, but I stay out of there as much as I can. <laughs> yes. Mm. Yes. Are you often, when you said like, you're never home, like, are you often on tour? Like, what are you usually balancing kind of like commitment wise? Oh yeah. So I've been on tour. I've, been out straight for over 30 something days now. Um, I had about one night at home between a a month long West coast tour. Um, and then a festival run that I just did. And, um, so I just got home, um, two days ago. I got to spend the night, but then I had yesterday. So I got home on Sunday and went to an event last night um, in Nashville. Went to Lucinda Williams Troubadour Award Ceremony, which was really awesome. Um, and then I have a full week of Americana Fest and then Bourbon and Beyond Festival. I will have about two nights at home after that, I think. Maybe just one, but I hope two. And then I leave until the middle of October. Oh my gosh. So yeah, I've been pretty much on the road solid or at least doing business since last August straight. I had a a tour cancel in early January and so I got to be at home. But because I was putting out my record, there was a lot of business I had to do in New York City and different things early as late January. Yeah. So, so I've just been, it's... It's, I feel like I've been, you know, after August, I feel like I've, I've been gone for a solid year almost is what I feel wow. like. I definitely feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> and especially hearing that you like kind of having, it sounds almost like your sanctuary where you are, like, especially knowing that you wanted to be home for that night. I was like, oh, that must be a very important place to be by contrast. It's so important. My cat is here and he basically lives here while I'm gone. I have a rotating cast of people that come in and care for him. He's deaf and is kind of a hell raiser. And, and, and he, this house is basically his. And then my dog, he has diabetes and can't stay here. You know, he, he needs a little more attention than, a, than the cat. Yeah. Um, so he stays with my parents. So I'm an animal person and I don't have the, you know, I can't take them. I'm not on a bus, so I can't have my animals with me and I don't get, you know, you don't get to spend a lot of time in nature and I like sit out on my back porch and yes, I'm, and I'm a big alone time person. Mm -hmm. And even if like, you know, I just did a West coast run, um, completely solo by myself and I just didn't get enough alone time, yeah. even with that. Yeah. Well, and it's different even when you're, I just thought of that stretch of California between kind of like the Bay Area and Oregon. Driving on that stretch is weird alone time because it feels like you're in a screensaver. 
There's like a good five hours mm-hmm. in California that look like you look out the window and you're like, have I moved at all? Oh, Lord, <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> I was on the I was on the road with a last ball with Madison Cunningham and my good friend Tim Payton. I brought him out on the West Coast side of that tour to help sell merch and help drive. I was pretty concerned yeah. about all of us being able to, you know, pitch in and drive all that, even though I just did the same run completely by myself. And, uh, so now I'm like, whatever. But, uh, he's, we were going through Kansas and he said, you know, Kansas, it looks like a big old copy and paste. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought, I was like, wow, that is really something. Anyway. That's, yeah. That's well, the best way that. Looks like a big old copy and paste. Just like a big old copy and paste. <gasps> Unlike the West, you know, I was getting, I feel like I have PTSD from all the beauty I was exposed to. I was like, oh God, another overwhelmingly beautiful sight. Oh God, another <laughs> one. You know, I was just like, shit. It was, it was a lot. People- but. It's funny when I was thinking of place and kind of like the sanctity of being in your own home, like having your own space, having that alone time. Like I'm from Los Angeles and I Mm -hmm. still live here and like travel around Mm. California a lot. And people are always like, oh, why do you stay in California? It's expensive, often on fire. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Literally. (laughs) And, And then I'm just like, well, have you have you driven around the state? Like, yeah, it's like oh, every it's, moment you're just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievably beautiful. I can't breathe there. It's too dry for me. Like I'm definitely genetically meant to be on this side of the Mississippi River. But it's, I mean, undeniably a gorgeous state, you know, so I, I get it. I'm very uh, partial to the landscape of where I'm from much different but I could see if you were used to looking out your window and and getting to experience that kind of thing then it would be hard to find home anywhere else you know yeah like you look around other places and I hadn't realized how almost kind of like singular and strange Los Angeles was until I started traveling more and then was like oh this is why everyone thinks this is like the Wizard of Oz okay yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm. this scans (laughs) Yeah. And like, it's interesting thinking about how place then informs like the things that you make. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, like, do you feel that where you're from informs your creativity and informs kind of like your own inspiration and things that you things that you choose to do? Absolutely. I mean, I draw from my surroundings all the time. And I think in the same way, you know, you had kind of an epiphany about, you know, after removing yourself from, from Los Angeles, you were able to see it maybe from an outsider's perspective. And, you know, um, I think in, at different moments that kind of the same thing happened to me of understanding that there's a lot of things about my particular area of the world or upbringing that are other to people and, but are so rich and steeped in beauty that, you know, it's kind of like a never-ending well of imagery, circumstance, characters to draw from. And it's one, I think, you know, and we see it kind of pop culture right now, like the South and rural stuff is pretty popular. I don't have a TV. I don't watch any of these shows, but I have heard 
you know, that like Ozarks, these like kind of rural stuff. There's like a big Montana one out now. Like what's that called? Yellowstone, that one. Like where they're all kind of like doing like rural stuff. I, I mean, that's confess, not. I too don't have a television, and so I'm so glad. Well, I'm like, yes, they're big. There, there are massive shows currently. Like, country is cool, and you know Hollywood's capitalizing on it right now, and it's interesting. But you know, I think the South and rural places, in a way, have always embodied like a big mystery to people. And I'm just kind of honored to have been raised here, brought up here, you know, cut my teeth here um, enough to be able to claim it for myself and try to convince people, you know, why they should look at it my way a little bit. I love that. Like Thank the evocative you. nature of where one is from and then being able to share that with others. Like you had said, like the imagery. And even when you said about like the, the dryness of California versus not, mm-hmm. Like, it made me think of there was a time that I visited um, an ex's family in rural Louisiana, and I had never been there. Um, And one, my hair, it was so big. Yeah. (laughs) My hair became big and full of secrets. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I don't even know myself when I shower out in the West, because my hair is big, too. And, um, Lord, but out there, it's just, I'm beautiful not for me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we can say that. And I'm sure maybe you thought that about Louisiana. Maybe you were like, okay, beautiful. I get it. Not for me. That's fine. We can all admit when something's not for us. Exactly. And anything was, over the Mississippi. Not for like, me. Not for me. And and that feeling of resonance of for me or not for me. Like I remember being there and being like, I wasn't sure if it was for me or not for me because it was so curious. Like the air tasted different. My hair, mm-hmm. huge. My arms, covered in bug bites. Um, oh, like yeah. the sounds of cicadas, very novel to Pam. Like all of these mm-hmm. things were happening that like, and I can definitely, it, it almost felt like the weather there and the nighttime there felt like Victorian wallpaper where there are these, all these little intricate mm-hmm. doodads that you could just look at the patterns forever. Like that's how it felt there. And so when you said that there's mysteries and imagery, I was just like, oh yeah. I could totally see that even just sitting on the porch at night. That's what it felt like. Yeah, for sure. It's just, you know, it's the air is thick. The accent is thick. You know, there's just, there's a lot of amazing things. The food culture here is thick. You know, a lot of things obviously are steeped in really terrible parts of, of human history. Um, and the South is really, kind of a symbol of how like really terrible things can provide like amazing things for for us to all enjoy and see humanity in each other like uh, a way for just you know like our food systems or whatever you know now so many people get to enjoy things that have come out of the south and also understand the dark and really cruel history that 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 brought those things about. Yeah. Um, and they also have seen the resilience of progressives in the South. You know, yes. I was speaking with someone earlier, and they were like, "Do you feel like the South is changing or whatever?" I said, "Well, I can tell you this: I think the way people from 
the outside are changing the way they look at the South. I think we've had so much attention with the progressive, um, you know, actions around here. We're finally maybe uh, the the rest of the world is finally starting to see the South as a place that one has has been doing work for a long time, very complex, but also, you know, not cutting us out on making a difference and yeah. and having views that people don't really think that we do. We do, <laughs> you know. So yeah, and that, pretty cool. I was gonna say, as a touring artist, you have the opportunity to actually share that experience with people outside of the South, as someone from the South imbued mm-hmm. in that culture. To, instead of like outside looking in, it's like you're like, okay, I'm an insider here. Let me give you <laughs> the perspective from here. Yeah, it it's you know it's, but at the same time, like you know, the South is a very big, diverse place. I have a lot in common with people from the region, and then there's a lot of things I don't have in common with people. It's just, you know, my home state, Eastern Kentucky, was hit by really catastrophic flooding just a little bit ago. Yeah. So when I was out on tour with John Moreland out west, I like to use my platform to say. It's possible you've heard about this, but I'd like to bring it back to your attention. Maybe find a place to give some mutual aid to or whatever. Um, But then at the same time, even though I'm probably more affected by Appalachian culture, region, tradition than most, I was born and raised on the Mississippi Delta. You know, those are kind of different traditions in different areas, definitely different landscapes. You know, so I was propositioned not too long ago to do some rural organizing and help campaign against J.D. Vance, who's running Mm -hmm. in Ohio. And, you know, I was like, I would be glad to help, but I'm not going to say that I'm an Appalachian. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm -hmm. I'm not. I'm from Kentucky, but, you know, I'm, I'm not from Appalachia. I might live there one day, but... It's not, I was, I'm like Mississippi Delta. I'm raised on Mississippi. Farmers are there, but so there's a lot of complexity where even Southerners can't own every little aspect of Southern identity because it's so vast and so, you know, complex, but, um, it's a great place to be and I'm always inspired and the people here are, um, just as complex and beautiful as as the imagery to be honest what is your experience with organizing and campaigning that's fascinating to me that I was like oh someone reached out to you for that like tell me more about that well I've been involved in like anything from student government to organizing on campus since I was you know first a student at, at my university and even on back in high school or something like that it's always been an interest of mine. Um, but I started working with ruralorganizing.org during the Andy Bashir campaign. Um, you know, we have a Democratic governor in an all-red state right now. Um, and it was no small feat to get him elected. And I worked with a group of other organizers and helped organize a team out of uh, volunteers that would help us reach out to people to try to get visibility for Andy Bashir. And there's a lot of interesting things about that experience that 
it's a different, it's when we were talking about insider outsider, if you were to call a little lady from Kentucky, like a little old lady and you, and you called her on the phone and you're like, hi, can I speak to Lily? She would know immediately that you weren't someone she knew. But when I call someone from Kentucky and I say, yes, Jim there, you know, or something like that. So I kind of helped get everybody off the script and say, don't talk to these people. Like, you know, don't read from a script. Just call somebody up like they're your uncle or something. And they if you can get past that first like five seconds, Mm -hmm. then more than likely they're going to talk to you. I mean, definitely we were hung up a lot. It's a very divided state and and certain things, but yeah, we had, I learned so much and, and I've, I did a uh, campaign after um, Charles Booker lost against Amy McGrath to run as our our, uh, democratic candidate against Mitch McConnell. Mm -hmm. Um, I got on the Amy McGrath campaign, but I still really love um, Charles Booker and just so I'm rooting for him and trying to do everything I can for him against Rand Paul. But we were able to do a live stream, a large live stream to encourage Kentuckians um, to register to vote. And we did it under the name, which side are you on, which is an old protest song written by a Kentucky woman, Florence Reese. So these are all things I'm super passionate about and, and love, you know, at one time more than now, music was a force for social change and I think it still has the power to do that you just got to do it so I completely agree Mm -hmm. I I was thinking about that music and art are so often the first things that are potentially attacked or censured culturally Um, Mm -hmm. and I do believe that it is because they do have the power to enact change even just the act of being able to create because so often mm-hmm. people are, if people are oppressed and censured to a certain degree, like you don't have time to create or you might not have energy to create. Whereas mm-hmm. if you do have that time and energy, that's like, I mean, it's strange to use the word resistance in this context, but it's like, it's a form of resisting oppression or fighting against oppression because it's even saying, hey, I'm taking up this space. I'm making art. Exactly. And um, I think sometimes artists are showing what's happening in the zeitgeist, like, way before society realizes it's a problem or something affecting them. So, yeah, I mean, music is so powerful and I really hope and I feel like maybe after, you know, the initial first half of the pandemic, I think we did see a lot of people be like, oh, what the heck? I'm going to say my views and I'm going to stand up for what I think is ethical. And I don't care if this makes me lose followers or whatever. Who cares anymore? Half the world's dying. Like I'm going to use music for, in my opinion, one of the things it's intended to do, which is to uh, take care of people and encourage people to do that. So, um, yeah, I'm hoping that's a trend that sticks around. And, um, yeah, it's kind of exciting. Yeah. That I I love what you just said that people are like, I'm going to say my views and I'm going to speak about what I believe in. And if I lose followers, like, so be it. It's that whole thing of like, you know, if everybody likes you, like, does anyone like you? <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Someone commented on, um, I posted a clip of a music video I made and someone commented on the YouTube like, wow, you sure want attention. And I commented back like, yeah, so I'm posting my music on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. You solve the mystery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I know. It's so strange how people are literally just sitting around like and filled the freedom to just say the worst things to people. I mean, that, that in my opinion is just like, are you 14? It's just really strange, but that's one of the downsides of sitting behind a screen gives people a lot of courage. <laughs> yes. Yes. And potentially what is uh, trying to remember the name of that thing where, which is funny about what I'm going to say. It's like the bell curve of like your perceived competency, like your internal perception of your competency, that people mm -hmm. who have average competency believe themselves to be very competent and people who are very, very competent actually doubt themselves because they know just how competent you have to be to be very, very competent. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. It's a bit of that, that you're like sitting behind the screen being like, I know what'll get this random musician on the internet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I uh, got you. Got never, you now. <laughs> never heard or thought of this one before. I know. Gosh. And like, I do the same thing with my with my music online. Where often I'll use it to fundraise for things that I want to donate money towards. And so I'm like, yeah. yes, you are correct. I am doing this exactly for attention. Please mm -hmm. pay attention to this thing <laughs> that I yeah. have now called your attention to with this art. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so nuts. So, it's so strange. And, like, I do think that, like, art and music do tend to be about, like you said, things in the cultural zeitgeist. And thinking back to what you said about these shows that now are featuring the South and people's even perceptions of the South. And I thought of, like, there was a big spate of Viking shows, too. It seems like there's always these, like, either locations or mythologies that people, like, latch onto. And are just like, yes, this one. And I was just like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm curious for you, like, and especially you brought up like the different, the different parts of yourself based on where you were raised, but also by whom you were raised. And it's mm -hmm. like, those are almost two different cultures. And I'm curious, like, which parts do you feel like are speaking the most through your current art? Um... <laughs> I think it would be a mixture of both. Um, you know, I come from like a strict church family, farmer's daughter, very old school in, in beliefs and, and, and thoughts. But at the same time, you know, I come from sharecroppers. We take care of people who have helped us um, or we feel indebted to that have helped our family. So I feel like a lot of the songs off the new record, Teeth Marks, have a lot to do with questioning your empathy or what you're choosing to do with it or how you're processing it or if you didn't experience it from someone else. And it's strange, like, my dad, um, my whole family has always been, uh, you know, I remember this one Thanksgiving in particular, 
my whole family farms, like extended and everything. And my uncle was driving through, we call it the bottoms. It's like large amounts of farmland by the Mississippi River. And next thing I know, at my grandmother's house, there was a lady I didn't know there, and she was pretty dirty, and um, I didn't, you know, we didn't know what was going on, and then the grown-ups were kind of in the corner, like, saying, we're going to get her a meal, and whatever, and this lady had been sleeping in these barns, and was trying to get to, you know, Florida, she was hitchhiking, she was homeless, and this was like one of the first homeless people I'd ever come in contact with. I was a young child and I live in a place where you, you there is homelessness, but you don't see it like that. Yeah. And so I was like, wait a minute, she's just living in the like a, a barn down there. And I remember my my grandmother just told my uncle, like, here's money, buy her train ticket to Florida and just get her down there. You know, it's like. People that just teach you, like, to care for your neighbors. No one is, is uh, you know, everybody's got their own struggles. You don't have to ask questions. You just, you know, there is nothing wrong with feeding people, making sure they have what they need, and send them on, on their way. And I think seeing that type of uh, compassion and stuff from, from my family and, and, and just kind of being raised to take care of other people, it definitely affects the way I see the world and what I choose to find really offensive about the, the world, you know? Yeah. So I think a lot of that does definitely come out in my music or at least the way songs start shaping in my head. What's making me take a second glance, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And that makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. Like now that you, like hearing that story that makes so much sense with more like community organizing and campaigning of like wanting to share that goodwill like you said Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with feeding someone with caring for someone and that in some ways I was thinking about like I haven't watched the shows that are out on the south um well I some of those I don't think are like one's in Montana and I don't consider Montana the south but um like it's just more like a cultural they're more like rural you know Like the idea of rural people, not like, no, like out of the metro stuff, you know? Yeah, because from what you're describing, it seems like almost the same thing, like you said, of like when I stepped outside of L.A., where it's like people have like preconceived notions about who you are based on where you're from and what it might be like, despite having never been there and not experiencing that culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean... That's true. Yeah. It's like, especially hearing about that, like that, that actually sounds a lot more like the culture in which I was raised, like in like reformed Jewish culture, there's like a huge emphasis on like tzedakah and like giving to your community and caring for mm-hmm. people. And like every week we would gather either like tzedakah in the form of money um, and then like donate to like food banks or you would donate like clothes, you would donate like all sorts of goods. But it's like the kind of thing of like, it's part of the thing to take care of people in your community, no matter who that person mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, yeah, like that's very much like a value that I was raised with. And I think that there might be people who don't have that perception either of like the Jewish community in Los Angeles or like the rural community in Kentucky that it's like people might like not perceive our communities that way. Exactly. Yeah, because, you know, a lot of people would say that places like rural like Kentucky or whatever might 
be more in line with like rugged individualism. And it is definitely here, but there is a deep, deep sense of taking care of each other in these places. And um, to the extent where I think when outsiders come and experience it, they're like, wait a minute, you're getting way too far into my business. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, okay. But, and it's so, you know, I mean, I've been with people who get offended when I offer things, you know, like, oh no, I'll come and pick them up. And they're like, no, you won't. That's weird. Right. (laughs) It's weird. You don't offer that kind of stuff. I'm like, why not? I don't care. They're good. They're your people. They're my people. And they're like, no, you don't do that. They can do it themselves. It's like, okay, whatever. It's fine. That that was how I knew that a friend of mine was like finally like finally trusted me when I offered mm-hmm. to pick him up from LAX and he was like, okay. Oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep. Because I think in some ways like people have to if someone hasn't been raised like that like they have to trust that like. And I don't know what happens in other places. I would assume that if someone doesn't trust, it's because they've had a bad experience with someone offering something and either they're beholden for some reason or there's a negative consequence of accepting that. It's like thinking of like, ah, doing a deal with a fae. Uh, but it's like <laughs> that yeah. if someone offers something good, they're like, what's the catch? Like, yeah, is it a for sure. Yep. <laughs> I know. It's complex, you know, people are and that's okay. That's what makes the world interesting, I guess. Yes. But, yes. And I was I was curious even when you mentioned those phone conversations, the people that didn't hang up, like once you, you know, you got past that five seconds, I'm curious, like, what were some of the conversations that you ended up having? Like what were people's perceptions? What were what were different people's ideas? Well, something that I would bring up, and I only have a couple more minutes. I'm sorry, yes, I got to run to Nashville. Okay. But um, okay. but to answer this, you know, um, one question I would ask because Andy Bashir and the governor who who was before him, Matt Bevan, he did a lot of cutting to teachers' pensions and mm. um, actually really stripped a lot of our public university of funds to where they had to like like get rid of whole departments. So he wasn't very pro-public education and definitely was not up for helping out teachers. Well, guess who pretty much everyone in the world has known a teacher? And more than likely, one teacher made an impact on someone's life, right? So so knowing that common ground, no matter if I was talking to a a Republican, because what you found when you, you know, we had like all the Democratic parties numbers or whatever. Well, you would find that in the last few years, a lot of them were no longer Democrats. So you were talking to someone who had like probably voted for Trump or whatever, Mm -hmm. but you can still find common ground with people. And one thing I would ask them is, you know, sir, do you have any teachers in your life? And they might be like, yeah, my daughter is a teacher. I said, well, are you aware that this is what's been happening to the teachers in our state? And guess what? He cared then. He didn't care about about which party was representing or whatever, but he really cared about the teachers in our state. And so I think it's like 
knowing who your neighbors are, knowing what matters to them, knowing where you can find common ground. These are all ways, you know, that I think it's important to look at humanity in general. Like, how can I make a connection with you to where what I say you don't write off? And I think it's just about having the will to to find that common ground. And so that's what I tried to focus on in those conversations. You're not going to convince someone of something different, but you can find common ground. Right. You know? And through that common ground, then, you know, then both of you come away potentially with like a revised view on your own perspective because you're exactly. able to find that like synthesis. Exactly. Yeah. I definitely wasn't going to walk away from that situation thinking like, oh, this person doesn't care about other humans or whatever. Or they're, you know, they don't have empathy. This party, this people, whatever. They don't have empathy for their neighbors or whatever. That's not how it works, you know. And that's not what's true of the situation, even as polarized as it is right now. So. Right, because everyone, if you if you fall into that mentality of kind of like almost dehumanizing someone on either side, then it's like, how are you going to connect? How are you going to, how is anything going to get done? <laughs> exactly. And that's, I mean, that's what, that's why I don't choose to focus on that. I try to find the common ground and also present that in my music. Um, and that's, I'm happy to be able to do that. I love that. And I love that Thank that is you. how you're spending your time doing uh, doing that in multiple realms. I appreciate it. Well, it's been so awesome getting to talk to you. And I'm so sorry I have a whole week of Americana Fest <laughs> I have to go and go to. Go for but, it. Uh, uh, given that I have one of my friends was like, wow, you look like a Backstreet Boy. And I was just like, okay, I need a haircut. What? Oh, looks good. It looks good. <laughs> I usually have but, like bangs, bangs. And now I have whatever, whatever is happening. It's great. Here. I Thank like you. it, but we're about, we kind of got the same thing. The little fringe. I was like, so yep. I feel you. Go go get glam. Go have an amazing time. Thank <laughs> I you. I hope the drive is not too horrible. Um, I appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Why Not Both. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. You can also come hang out with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, both on Instagram and on Twitter. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar magazine. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed print, music, and entertainment magazine and website. You can find them at www.undertheradarmag.com and feel free to support them on Patreon. Extra special thanks to our producer, Laura Studeris, who is literally a rock star. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you next episode. Oh, <laughs>